This is Coda Radio, episode 160 for June 29th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as, as your show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who's established on the East Coast rather proudly, you might say. Why, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is yes. quite, Mr. Dominic. Hey there, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Chris. Hello, handsome. How are you doing today? I'm good, and Chris, it's a happy day for us. We can finally, finally be open about our love. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. Hello, uh, Mr. Tony. Our love for uh, development and technology and things related not, to... Not quite, sir. Um, oh. Mm, oh. I mean, we love that as well. Yeah. Perhaps our... Uh, I mean, we did get quite a beer discussion going last week. Y- per- yes, but, but, but not that. Mm. Our love for each other. Oh, well, I mean, after 160 weeks, I suppose if you want to, if you want to, just put that out there on the air. I mean, Chris, I think I, 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 ha- I have a proposal to make. I think the audience could feel it. You know, I think like the, oh, I they think could it, feel it, I think it saturates. I they, yeah, I bet they felt it right below the waistline. <laughs> okay, all right, sure they did. What's your proposal, <laughs> Mr. Dominic? Chris, mm-hmm. will you marry me? I, I already have. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think we got married like 160 weeks ago. Boom. Although we do have one thing to resolve. So I dug this up from the uh, from the archive for you because I know what a fan of Budweiser beer you are. So this is a special I treat I got for you to see, you know, to share with the audience a little love. Budweiser commercial featuring the crew cut. Where there's life, there's fun. That's right, friends. At a concert or a show in your own backyard, wherever you go. Budweiser beer is for folks who know where there's Budweiser. Yeah. Isn't that great? I got that for you. That is fantastic. Thank I you. love Budweiser. It is the best beer on the planet. <laughs> uh, can I can I tell you something? I have to turn my air conditioner on. <laughs> See, we have one of these. Like, Do it. Thank you. It's a, <laughs> it is a big, big beast. Uh, but um, let me do a quick count here. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven. There's currently seven computers running in what is intentionally a small, very insulated room. Like the insulation's on the outside. It's a padded room. I'm in a padded room. And uh, and the smaller it is and the more padding it is, the better it sounds. So it gets very, very warm in here. And eventually, like uh, JB1 Studio 2.0, all of the gear is going to get moved into a different room. But, you know, that means I have to cut holes in walls and, and move a bunch of stuff. So it's really hot. Uh, and I, I'm sure, like, a lot of you out there are probably dealing with similar – a lot of us. A lot of us in this particular industry or field work in small rooms with a lot of computers. So I know I'm not alone in complaining about that. Speaking of things I wanted to complain about, before we get into it, like, you wrote a really good blog post this week. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about – the Dream Laptop. Have you seen this? It was over... Uh, it's been everywhere, really. And it makes me think yep. maybe the Dream Laptop's actually dead. Um, I'm referring, to post, uh, of course, to this uh, reimagined ThinkPad. Basically, it was, what if you took the very best of the original ThinkPad design and did, like, a retro throwback and just added new components but kept all of the best stuff about the old ThinkPad, like the Think lights, LED lights built into the top, the standard uh, ThinkPad keyboard with the uh, nipple in the middle for the mouse and the old trackpad with the buttons on top. And uh, what do you think of this, Mr. Dominic? What do you think of this idea of maybe the perfect laptop was already built and now we need to go back and uh, sort of revisit some of those classic designs? Is this a horrible sign that we are totally out of ideas and that the best machines were behind us or is this just nostalgia getting the best of us what do you think or is this a great idea because i don't know where to fall down on this it's pure nostalgia right it's pure nostalgia but nostalgia is good yeah i don't know i don't know if it is pure okay so here's why i don't think it's just pure nostalgia are you ready for this i'm gonna blow your mind are you ready i would like to introduce you my friend to the pismo this is my great last laptop my first laptop love. This thing 
was amazing. It had SCSI on board. It had Firewire on board. It had a good design build to it. I don't know if you have the video version up of the uh, stream, Mr. Dominic, but I'm showing some pictures of it here. It's awe-inspiring. It's awe-inspiring. I want to I show you a couple of neat things about this thing. Unlike any Mac wow. keyboard built today, all the ports are on the back under a door. So all of your wires just are on the back. There's no wires to the side of the machine. It's very clean and organized. It has two FireWire ports, two USB ports, an Ethernet, audio in and out. It has VGA, and some of them had SCSI. And this one has S-Video out that I'm showing. Um, all of the ports on the back and a modem built in. All of the expandability was underneath the keyboard. The keyboard popped up, and you had access to the wireless card. You could even replace the processor, the RAM, and the hard drive. All user accessible right underneath the keyboard, which you could either lock with some screws or have just available with trigger releases. Right there. And then last but not least, one of the things I truly loved about this thing is it had, uh, it had on one side, on the left side, it had a battery bay, and on the right side, it had a DVD-ROM bay. But you could actually put batteries in both bays. You could pull out the DVD drive and put another battery in this because they, they were universal slots. And so you could get 16 hours of battery life out of this laptop. I mean, it got heavy, but you could put dual batteries in this thing. And you could watch both your batteries in the menu and see what the battery usage was at. And you could get 16 hours of portable battery life out of this thing. It was a great, great, great laptop. I would love to see something like this, x86-based. Oh, man. I don't know why they ever shut this down. Yeah, I don't know why they ever closed that. So that was the Pismo, and I think it's one of the best-built laptops ever. Really a solid machine. Had lots of good, had a lot of, had many good years of it. So I, I, I sometimes, I do sometimes wonder if maybe the best laptops are behind us. I don't know. I'm currently enjoying my XPS 13 quite a bit, but it's not uh, nearly as I good as that Pismo. I was going to say, what about the 13? Yeah. It's not as good as that Pismo, though. That's for sure. It's lighter and faster, of course, but it just isn't built as well or as versatile. I mean, six. I could go. I could also go off power. I could go on power and go dual DVDs or dual CD-ROMs if I wanted to rip some music. It was really cool. Um, and then there was third-party accessories that people had put in there, like hard drives you could throw in there for backup and stuff. It was, it was neat. It was yeah. It was. It had seams and it creaked and it crunched. It wasn't one unibody uh, the design. The best laptops are the crunchy ones, right? I don't know. I don't know. I do like solid design, so I, it's, I'm, I'm torn on that. I am torn on that. Mr. Dominic, there is a topic that is perfect for the Coda Radio program today, and you blogged about it, and I want to get to it. Uh, but So why don't we clear the decks first? Why don't we uh, clear the air and celebrate DigitalOcean, our first sponsor on the Coda Radio program today? I love DigitalOcean. It's turned on to DigitalOcean by Mr. Dominic. He's like, hey, so I kind of have this... Uh, this thing I've been using for the backend infrastructure for my clients and the backend infrastructure for myself, and uh, it's just crazy. You know, they've been really good, and uh, I think a lot of developers. You know, you are you are quick to the draw because now DigitalOcean's huge. If you think about it, but this was a while ago. Now that you were telling me about this, you're like, I think it's going to be really good for developers. And so we started having a conversation with DigitalOcean, and man, man, Mike was right. Mike was right. And I think I think Mike still uses them for his backend. I know that uh, Noah and I have a ton of DigitalOcean droplets now. And really, when digi- really, regardless if they were a sponsor or not, if Jupyter Broadcasting needs on-demand infrastructure, when I need to spin up a Linux rig, Fedora, Ubuntu, CoreOS, I mostly do Ubuntu LTS. I go to DigitalOcean, and I love it too because we could develop something here in-house at Jupyter Broadcasting in a container, and then within just seconds, I could push it up to a droplet. And have it up on, you know, something that's actually extremely fast with really good connectivity. You know, real hardware. All SSD-based. Everything DigitalOcean has, everything they have. All their rigs, SSD-backed. They really are a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering with the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own cloud server. And that's just in the beginning. You can start just within 55 seconds. You're going to have a server spun up. And for $5 a month, so less than one trip to McDonald's, less than one trip to Starbucks for the entire month, you can get 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a brand new one in Germany. It's a nice one, too. 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor. 40 gigabit E, yeah. And then their fastest SSDs yet. And the other nice thing about that Germany location is it's well connected, so its neighbors are going to get really good connectivity as well. I love DigitalOcean's interface, it's very straightforward and simple. And you can replicate the functionality on a larger scale with their really nice API. And that API is really scalable. You're going to find it's useful just to write a bash script 
on your Linux rig all the way up to snapping it into your existing management infrastructure or developing applications and deployment methodologies around it. It is a complete set of tools. Check out DigitalOcean.com, but remember this. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. You'll get a $10 credit. You can try out the $5 rig. And most importantly, the Coder Radio program gets credit. Keeps us on the air. Coder Digital. And then you get that $10 credit. You just apply it to your account. You don't even have to use a credit card. Try out that $5 rig for two months for free or go get a really powerful rig. You can also do hourly pricing on DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for being so freaking awesome and for rocking support of the Coder Radio program. And thanks to everybody out there for using the promo code, Coder Digital. So the Confederate flag became a big hot political button in the good old U.S. of A since we last joined here on the Coder Radio program. Wow! Did that thing blow up since then. Uh, And uh, one of many companies to join the boycott of the Confederate flag was Apple. And Apple's methodology here was to revoke... Just rip them all out. Get it out of here. Get the apps that have the Confederate flag out of the GD App Store immediately. And, um, Mr. Dominic, I was curious, what was your reaction to this rather drastic response? So, pretty negative. And we should say uh, they've actually reversed themselves rather significantly already. Um, But the initial response was anything that had the Confederate flag other than pure historical... um, educational apps were removed and and that line was very blurry one of the big ones was there's a game called gettysburg which is a historical kind of like a turn-based strategy game that highly successful had been really one of the marquee ipad apps and they just removed it with little to no notice right Uh, as well as just a bunch of a bunch of other similar games similar products like no one's suggesting that you should have hate speech or anything like that on the app store Right. In fact, uh, in fact, I think one of the uh, just to just to give you an example, there were some apps that did seem rather inappropriate. Like one, I think, was called Southern Pride, and it uh, was like sort of inappropriate backgrounds that probably shouldn't have been in there. Right. The problem is this is, and it's less about you know whether you think they should or shouldn't allow the Confederate flag. I think that's kind of the uh, not the real issue. The issue is it's just again another show of power where Apple has this absolute power over the ecosystem, over all these businesses, and are not shy about using it for, you know, for things that offend their mores, right, their their sensibilities. So in this case, yes, a lot of people probably didn't like the Confederate flag games, but it's hard to argue that a historical game, you know, about the Civil War is hateful. Right. 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 Uh, what's next? Axis and allies. Right. C- is Civ going to go because they're yeah? It was uh, obviously an overreach. It, it seems to be there's always a disconnect between the App Store policy enforcers and management intentions, and it right. seems to be an, an always a massive overreach. And then management up above has to come in and say, "Let's scale that back." Now, here's what I now, here's what I though, worry. They held their ground, right? I mean, they didn't immediately scale back. Um, only when kind of public opinion tar- started to really swing against it did they back down. Right. So here is um, – I want to get to your conclusion of what this means and the impact that is. But just as an aside, uh, I'm cynical enough to believe that this isn't um, – this isn't Apple being altruistic. This isn't, ap- this isn't Apple um, playing mother hen. Right. <clears throat> I think what Apple is steadily doing month by month – is branding Tim Cook into Apple. Just like like it became Steve Jobs' Apple, this is an important step to making this is Tim Cook's Apple. I don't know if you just saw, but uh, the gal that is responsible for some of Apple's outreach pro- uh, programs just got a massive promotion within Apple to be like the head of all human outreach across the globe. Like that's going to be a new effort on Apple's part. And uh, one could argue that's an amazing use of a very rich company's money. I am a little more cynical. I think this is Apple attempting to brand this as Tim Cook's Apple. This is, we are building the era of Tim Cook, where Apple is so rich, but they're going to become better for humanity. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but Apple recently changed their mission statement to, uh, to, to, to imply just that. Um, and their mission statement essentially says, um, leaving the earth a better place than we found it, is what their new mission statement is, essentially. And I think this is also an effort to rebrand Apple as Tim Cook. And these rather mother-hen approaches to the App Store to protect the children and to, and to have social stances, um, while not necessarily a bad thing, uh, I think are all part of making it the Tim Cook Apple. And I, so well, little, also, I think what, So I think if you abstract from that, though, what I think what that brass tax means is 
real-world developers are getting their hard work pulled from the App Store as a strategy tax. Right. Well, not only that, right now it's, you know, not just the business relationship. You have to now politically and socially agree with a company's philosophy to do business with them. That seems that seems scary, right? Like in this case, you know, I'm sure there are in fact there were tons of people applauding the move. Um but you could see this going further. You know, we we don't like or maybe it's not a negative thing where they don't like. Maybe they decide they want to feature, I don't know, developers who are also graduated from a particular college, and they all get a boost in the App Store, right? Well, you've now dis uh, you've now disadvantaged everybody else, right? There's always been this trouble of developers who are formerly from Apple tend to get featured. Now it's going to be oh, these are our favorite pet causes. Is that just an Apple thing, though? I don't know that that's just an Apple thing. I think that no, could be... I don't be... think it's just... I think they all... I mean, Google does it. Everybody does it. But I think Apple's much more bold about it, right? Here's what I think the bottom line is, because I think you summed it up right. I'm just going to read you word for word. Apple is no longer shy about using its absolute power over the App Store to enforce what might be considered its own preference. Worldview, perhaps. This is well beyond just protecting users from poorly coded apps or security flaws in third-party software. Apple is now enforcing their tastes and morals on every iOS user... And iOS, and more frequently, every iOS developer. It's been a long time coming, but I think this is the last straw for me in terms of total control from Apple. I just can't justify so much of my life and livelihood being based on a platform whose owner has no issue and enforces their morals, or morses, whatever you said here, on its users' developer community. Now, let me pause here. I want to underscore this. I can't justify having so much of my life and livelihood based on this company who apparently enforces these rules on a whim, is really what you're saying. Uh, well, uh, yeah, exactly, right? So, so Apple wanted to make a political statement that, you know, there are definitely, no matter what you say, having your app pulled from the store for a day or two is bad, right? Maybe. You know what, to be honest with you, I'm now thinking maybe I'll go pick up one of these Silver War games from my iPad. I never knew about them before. Well, I immediately did. Yeah. But <laughs> the reality is that's not going to... You know, that's not going to be the case most of the time, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not. It's definitely not a good marketing strategy. Yeah. So uh, here's where here's where I call BS on you, though. Because um, what are you going to do? You know, like what what what, what else are you going to do? Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna have a better situation with Google or Microsoft. Right. The an- the answer to this is going to be the web, right? You have no. And Linux, you the know, web and Linux. I mean, seriously. I know it sounds hippie, but I, I w- if you, if you don't say... want anybody to control, if you don't want a gatekeeper, it's the web and it's Linux. And I would argue that the web is is less and less of an option because really Google and Siri and Cortana are all going to be the gatekeepers to the web a few years down the road for the most part. Like, Google, uh, like Apple is seriously working hard to make sure that you don't ever go to Google.com in iOS 9. Yeah, I mean, is that is that a problem though? Uh, it make yeah yeah it's going to make it super hard for discovery for for web apps because uh, what's going to show up first in all of those searches is the App Store apps. So yeah yeah it's going to make being a web app it's going to be make dis- discovery for web apps harder than ever. So, so and the then you, and then and then by the way right. even if you are on the web searching Google all the Google stuff I mean there was just today uh, we yes, have the story yes. a little bit but there's just today you know. Uh, uh, Google search, Google search there, and I really, 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 really respect the man who did the study, Tim Wu, the author of the Master Switch, which is an amazing book, extremely insightful, and everything he wrote in it has come forward so far. Uh, Tim Wu wrote, uh, Tim Tim Wu wrote the Master Switch: The Rise and Fall of Information Empires. I I really, really recommend that book. It's very compelling, um, and he did a study, and in the paper, he he divvies out that Google is indeed. By, uh, uh, biasing their own research. Uh, so along, along with Harvard's Michael Lusa and Yelp data science team, these all, all these people work together, they outlined A-B testing that shows how Google's move to favor its content cuts engagement. As a result, Google is reducing social welfare, according to the paper. In other words, Google is delivering lower quality results to plug its reviews over web rivals. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, they, they so was the delivered this becomes, weekend at Oxford University. Right. 
see, this is where you and I differ. I don't think Apple or Google or anyone should be forced to adopt any kind of, you know, freedom of speech or any kind. You know, it's your platform. It's your search tool. Oh, no, I'm not advocating that. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is that the gatekeepers are here and the information is locked up. And don't, 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 don't assume that somebody can Google for it because this independent study is showing – well, I mean independent in the sense that Yelp is essentially a competitor. But this study is showing that Google is skewing the results. Apple skews the results and Microsoft skews the results. So what are you going to do? I mean y- – y- Yeah, I mean but Google skews them in, in a – I should be careful of my phrasing – in what I would consider a less insidious way, right? Light-handed. They're featuring their own product. It's very different than saying, you know, having a favorite son, right? Which is essentially what Apple does and saying, we like this developer, so whenever here's, he releases a product, it's going to be a big to-do. Here's another way. Here's another way. I maybe maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but I think what you're saying right. could be taken another way as, well, you see, Google's less of a threat because their products suck compared to the competitors in the most part, so they're not really a big threat. And so if Google had really good offerings, like if, Google's, if Google Shopping and Google Reviews was better than Yelp and stuff, then uh, it would well, be a problem. Well, I, I, but I think you're missing the point, right? Let, let's, you know, let, let's compare equivalencies, the Play Store and the App Store. It is reasonable for Apple to feature pages over Microsoft Office, right? That's their product. When they get into the third-party stuff, it gets a little scary. That's where... That's where I get uncomfortable when they start making decisions about which third-party um, developers. And it used to be that they would only positively affect developers they like, which is bad in its own way. By the way, that's the Apple popo coming. <laughs> but now they're actually showing a willingness to take negative steps against those they don't like. You mean like uh, forcing them to have their uh, addresses publicly displayed? Again, you're selling a product if you're a legitimate business. I don't I'm know just how. saying, like, I think it's one evil over the other. I, I, well, the, I'm not trying to point, paint a picture of doom here, but I, I don't see, I don't see one app store being less evil over the other app store. I don't you see know, one I, being I, less. I, I don't. I, in fact, in fact, even despite kind, all this, I think the iOS app store may still be more developer friendly than than the I think other it's stores. A different kind of evil, though. Google, to this point, has not attempted to use their third-party developers as pawns for political statements, right? Apple literally mm. just did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, whether, the fact that the majority of the audience would probably agree with that decision doesn't mean that it's not scary, right? You know, Apple could wake up tomorrow and decide they don't like the peace sign and remove everything with the peace sign. What's stopping them? Nothing. So, and I, and I agree. I that think they it does perhaps right portray. Do yeah, I guess it does portray their sort of. They sh- they view developers as a commodity that adds value to their platform. I think yes, yes. They view, and, and the problem is there are now so many iOS developers that they don't care, right? In all honesty, like you know, if Chris Fisher is not going to develop for iOS, they don't give a rat's ass, right? I mean, even if you know, even if Marco Armit came out and said, "I'm not going to do this anymore," they'd be like, "That's nice," right? Yeah. There are twenty. Like chomping at the bit to take your place. Hmm. That seems like the. Uh, that seems like uh, anybody who's in a successful position would have that, right? Right. So this this is the free market at work. But it's interesting, you know, what Google what Google's doing or allegedly doing, right, is to make money. Right. It, it's a it's a business decision. What Apple is doing. Is argue now? You could be cynical and say this is actually just a marketing thing, but which is what I'm arguing. I, yeah, I, I'm not arguing that. I, I'm saying that they are actually, you know, behaving as a corporation who, because they have free speech, right, has a, a political agenda. Is is you know, and let's just be honest, right, very left aligned, and is going to promote and depromote things that they don't agree with. Um, in terms of uh, statements, politics, things like that. I, okay, I, I don't is know. That, I is mean, that better or worse? I don't. I think it's different. I don't think I can't think of any other platform vendor that has ever done that. This is it, definitely the furthest they've crossed the line. But like, if you think about it from a purely, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't think it's like they're going in there and like promoting the Democratic Party 
or uh, um, you know they didn't turn the app store rainbow colors yesterday. Actually, I, I once did a uh, app. Well, I'll say it for a uh, a Republican support group. They hired me to do an app uh, to celebrate Mitt Romney, and Apple rejected it. <laughs> so, no, in that case, I I wrote it off as well, you know what it's California, and individual reviewers are going to be you know whole food toting crazies. He's a jackass. But, you know, whenever you have editorial, right, whenever you have that, there's no setting aside that this shows a a new way that they're willing to handle the appster, right? A, a new metric that you're measured on now is, hmm. do we agree with this? I mean, the, whatever you want to say about Google promoting Google Places or demoting Yelp or, you know, forcing developers to show addresses – not all that's a totally different issue google has to date not come out and said we support this cause or we don't like this symbolism or we don't like this and if you like that and you show it you're gone so can i can i quibble on the insidious part so uh here's why it doesn't seem quite as ins- i think maybe insidious is so google's is Surveyse it. It's it's subvasive. Whatever it it's it's in the background. It it eats away at maybe the traffic to your business. It sort of eats away at how many people find out about you. It eats away at your brand trust. Over time, it does damage. The Apple one's sort of like if you put a dick or a booby or something racist in your app, we're gonna pull it. I mean, like I gar- I, I grant you, they are still playing heavy with developers, but at the same time, the rules are like when you run up against them, it's kind of like oh, that's kind of obvious that might be a thing. Yeah, all right. I mean, that's that sucks super bad, but I, I guess yeah, I probably shouldn't have boobies in this. That that's that that does sound like a thing Apple wouldn't like. Okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, and boy, I, I could get away with that at Google, <laughs> man. See, but I don't know if one feels, one feels like sneaky and lying, and in eating away at you, and the other one feels like a bully and arrogant and uh, kind of in your face, but not. Not lying, not trying to hide it from you, not trying to not trying to say you're something you're not, and and, and one feels, one so feels a little feel more like, predictable to me. You feel like because Apple is outwardly aggressive and direct when they do this kind of thing that that's somehow better. No, it makes it predictable and quantifiable. And so as I, I look I don't at risk, think the publisher of you know Battle for Gettysburg or any of these other historical games predicted it. Like sure, but they're they, back in. They're back in. Yeah, because they got lucky and they did what Apple tells you not to do and cried to the press, and there was enough people who defended them. Right, which is what what happens you, all the time. Right, but your recourse is to cry to the press. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. don't understand how how. So you're saying because Google, you won't feel it, right? It's because it's like mercury poisoning, little by little. So look at the means and look at the lengths. That Yelp has had to go to because they fundamentally feel that their business is in danger. They're hiring Mother F and Tim Wu, who's a big deal, and they're bringing in Oxford and Harvard to help conduct this study because they are so desperate to scientifically prove that Google is devastating their business. Right? That's a big. That's a different thing. That's a much. That's a whole nother level of 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 in your like. To me, it's just. I guess the thing about the App Store rejections is the reason they got rejected in hindsight seems obvious, so yet it seems, therefore, somewhat manageable and predictable. Whereas with the Google stuff, not so manageable and predictable, and you never know what they're going to get into next. And they're also, at the same time, becoming the gatekeeper for the web as they're doing this. And as they apply things like searching within your social graph and narrowing the field of results based on your social graph and your previous results, plus the items they have to promote... I'm not so sure which one's more worse, to be honest, at all. I think maybe the Google one slightly. Hmm. I know it sucks, doesn't so, it? It sucks real bad. Right. So what? What would you do? <laughs> I don't know, I, man. I, it sucks so bad. Yeah, I mean, we're we're going to agree to disagree here. I I I still don't see Google you know, donning a, a white horse and saying, we believe this and therefore suffer. Um. <sighs> yeah, okay, so uh, yeah, would it, would it, right, would it change Google your feelings? Feels- so this, okay, so okay. is it, is it, oh, let me ask you this, is it playing heavy with developers or is it using your, your, your weight for your political, for your political leaning? Which, That's, it's not, right, it's not the heavy handedness. It's that they're now willing to use that heavy-handedness for things that have nothing to do with business. 
right. right. But so then now this is this is what always really kind of bothers me because from the abstract, if, if that's what bothers you, then why doesn't it bother you that Google has one of the largest lobbying groups in D.C. ever? Not not like in the technology field, but like ever. Right. And they have the largest groups in every single state in the United States. They are affecting political change on every single topic across the government, across the United States of America. That's what they're using their money for. Does that bother you? Okay, but everybody has lobbyists, right? Except for the voters. Go look up how many lobbyists Apple has. What is it, zero? I I think it's like one. They just hired one firm this year. Right, but Tim Cook gets invited to the White House, right? So does so, so does Google. But my point is, like, where do you draw the line from from using? Because honestly, you could, I could totally. Of course, Google needs to do that. They want to drive around and take pictures of everything. They want to implement self driving cars. They they right. have a lot of initiatives that are going to require changing laws. So of course, Google is inherently going to be more invested in well, that and, sector. And I would say Google has also been put in something of a defensive posture recently, right? Yeah. In that people keep wanting to pass laws that would basically make their business model really hard. So I guess what I come back to, though, is there's different ways of measuring this. And one, one, it, the one that we end up talking about is because one is very much in our face, and the one we don't talk about is one that's very much behind the scenes, but I think that one is actually maybe slightly more insidious. Because one, again, I, I, I'm, I'm not to beat this, but you're talking about, so in your, in your blog post right here, and this is sort of the part that I think I'm zeroing in on, is uh, you say it's been a long time coming, but this is the last right. straw for me in terms of control from Apple. I just can't justify having so much of my life and livelihood based on a platform whose owner has no issues tweaking the developer community like this. Now, I would argue to you that there's really no difference between any of them. It's just one of them is more apparent and in your face about it. See, I, I just don't see Google deciding that they don't like particular you know, specific iconography and apps and, and blanket wiping them out, right? You know, there no, is what they'll no... do instead is they'll let somebody publish an app that completely rips you off, even right down to the art assets, and then they won't ever pull it. But Apple will promote your competitor over you all the time because the guy used to work for them. <laughs> I, I, Maybe so. I'm I mean, not that's kidding. True. It happened, yeah. literally, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, then, I believe that, yeah. So I don't understand... You know, it's I, I don't hate Apple, right? I I work a lot on Apple stuff. I have published Mac apps and iOS apps, um, but I've been on both sides of the table, right? I, you know, they can decide that they prefer somebody else, and you're in a lot, and your product becomes becomes unfeasible. So that's fine. That's one thing. But now to say that we're now going to use our our weight to pressure you on our political opinions just seems like asking for trouble i agree or you have to be a sycophant right or you have to you know you working with apple you have to pretend to be a social democrat right you could do that yeah right um and you know on the apple podcast this week we'll now all talk about how they've hated the confederate flag their entire lives and how they how it's finally been pulled from the app store finally been pulled from the app store you know the problem and this is going to get me into trouble on YouTube. <laughs> the problem I have with the whole Apple developer space is, you know, as soon as Apple decided they wanted to highlight an issue, let's say women in tech, and it's not that it's not a real issue, but all these people just lockstep with them. Oh, yeah, on, on every issue. It's, it's impressive. Every- yeah. And, um, you know, uh, oh, 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 here's a good one. Here's a good one. This has been an interesting one to watch. Um, ad blocking being turned on by default in, in iOS 9. Or I'm not sure if because. by default, but ad blocking being there. Now you go, you have all these ad-supported mediums writing about how great it is that they're going to be blocking ads. Right. Because if you don't, you won't get that next exclusive. Or in the case of some of the developer shows, it is extremely important to remain friendly. To It is to your detriment not to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you doubt that, uh, that's also happening in the music industry. When you uh, If you go look... Um, there's a lot of people that were like, "Thank you, Taylor. We were too scared to say anything." That's the same. It's the same tone again. Well, I mean, you know, remember when the show launched, Chris, and we were featured in iTunes until I said something a little, uh, let's just say, accurate, and then we weren't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. You know, I I could tell horror stories for myself and my clients that 
you know, they have a lot of things that are kind of by their grace. Biggest one is expedited reviews, right? You can get your app reviewed in less than two hours if they like you with one phone call. Is that a phone call to Phil Schiller? No, it's just a phone call. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But depends on who you are. I mean, I, I, I don't really have anything new to add to that. It's yeah, like, I mean, this is the same problem. It, you know what it is? It's, you know... Can I tell you something about a, this, though? And sorry, before ahead. I forget, uh, this issue I have reflected on in many, many... Um, I don't know the right way to put this, but something I have noticed, and I'm sure those anybody who's about my age or older has probably notices way more than I have if you're older than me, is we definitely go through cycles in this industry. Uh, the one that I was very, very aware of um, is when I when I came into technology, I was transitioning the industry from a thin client model to a desktop yes. server model, uh, and then then I t- went through another transition back to a thin client model where the, everything was in the server data center and then thin clients, and and then we went back to a you know powerful laptops and desktop model. Now we're kind of doing it again with the cloud, right? So there's these cycles we kind of go through, and 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 during these cycles, a couple of core truths always come up. And one of them is platform vendor lock-in always tries to creep in there and during these cycles. And um, it sounds kind of altruistic and hippie of me, too, but I, I came to the realization the only way to break free of getting caught up in this every single cycle was to deploy Linux on the servers. Because I, 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 we kept running into having to rebuild infrastructure and re, rebuy apps and re-get new support contracts and all this stuff that was just unsustainable. Unsustainable because we were, we were required by the FDIC to stay up at a certain pace. So to, to, to match that so we could be insured, we, as a bank, we, I, I, you know, we had to come up with a solution. And the solution was remove vendor lock-in, remove platform lock-in, and use open source and Linux in areas where we can. And then we just filled it in in more and more areas as it went on. And then eventually, as the desktop operating systems began to suck and the updates got worse and worse and worse, that methodology just reinforced on the desktop for me as well. And uh, it's like, to me, I, I don't know how you sell an app, I don't know how you make money on it, but from a total like platform and user standpoint... I feel I feel like I avoid all of these kinds of strategy taxes and 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 vendor lock-ins and platform lock-ins by Linux and open source. And at, at the end of the day, it's sort of one of the core reasons why I use these platforms. Even if um, you know there's maybe a laptop out there built out of a solid block of aluminum that might run better than something else I could have, I just can't I I just can't go through more lock-in and more more of this again anymore. Is that yeah. nothing? Nothing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reality is, you know, services are going to be the future, right? Sell, selling a product for 50 bucks or 100 bucks, or frankly, 99 cents, it is just not going to work. Maybe anymore. so. And then that would, then the platform doesn't matter, right? Right. You build your own platform. You build it with VB6. Mm-hmm. 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 There you go. And uh, Swift, too. Swift too oh, for God. your back end apps. Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Hey, Mr. Dominic, uh, we do have uh, an email I want to get into. We'll get into the feedback segment here, and then we'll start wrapping this show up. Sure. Well, we have some really good email this week. Um, and I wanted to start with this one from uh, BMB330. He says, I'm starting a new job as a Ruby on Rails developer. It's a small company with the owner currently being the only developer. I have experience oh. with Linux, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, Python, Java, and some C, but no Ruby on Rails experience. I have very little programming experience um, professionally, uh, except maybe, you know, like a few websites here and there. Interesting. Uh, but he goes on to say that, you know, I've worked, for some, I've worked on JavaScript projects. Um, but he starts in about two and a half weeks. He just took a Pragmatic Studio's Ruby course and started their Rails course. Does he have any suggestions on how to be successful as a newbie to Ruby on Rails, things to do, not to do, what to read? Etc. And by the way, this is on the subreddit, so audience, if you have any tips for a new Ruby on Rails developer, uh, there is an open thread you can chime in on. Mr. Dominic, would you like to make any suggestions? Yeah, you know, I actually like Code School, and I think, real-time follow-up here, I think it's still free. They have a Rails course that's very interactive. Yeah. I think it's Rails for Zombies. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think we've talked about it before on the show. I do I do like yeah, that. Yes, they do. I do like they actually free- have a they have a bunch now. I uh, oh nice. I also I yeah. remember there was like a was this was there a was there like a no that was just regular Ruby that wasn't Ruby on Rails. There was like a game the, you well, could the, play. 
Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm looking at their Ruby section now, so they've added a lot since I last used them. Jack in the chat room uh, says DHH's book is good. It's good. Oh, is that the pickaxe book? I like the, I mean. Um, all right. Yeah. So those are good ones. Uh, yeah, go ahead and knock yourself out. And I will also, you know what, I'll give, in fact, why don't I do it right now? You know another great place? Linux Academy. They have a Ruby on Rails course. You can go to you can go to Linux Academy right now. Get, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Get the Coder Radio discount. There you go. Hey, this would work great. Get the Coder Radio discount. Go over there. Take their Ruby on Rails course, and that'll get you just started, and you can go from there. And here's the best part about that is they're gonna, they'll spin up servers for you, so as the courseware goes, you actually get to play with this stuff in the real world. And you get to choose which Linux distro. So if you know which distro the new job is going to be using, choose that distro. It'll automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual server to match that. And then you get to do the Ruby on Rails development. They have a bunch of self-paced courses. So you go in there, you'll say, uh, this is the course I want. It'll give you this much time. Here's, And then as you go, it'll give you time estimations and quizzes, downloadable comprehensive study guides, audio and video that you can take with you as well if you want to listen on the go. So kind of like podcast learning as well. Or like uh, Seth does, he listens in the shower, which is great. Uh, I think not just Ruby on Rails, right? They've got courseware on everything. So if maybe you're going to also end up needing to work with Nginx a little bit or you're going to have to work with uh, some sort of web server, this might be a great chance to go brush up on those skills as well. And don't forget, also, Linux Academy has those nuggets, and they have tons and tons of Red Hat stuff. So if you're going to need some Red Hat certifications to really seal the deal, man, you could probably get that taken care of in that two weeks. Wow. Wow, you could get a lot of this stuff banged out in just the two, two and a half weeks you have right now by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders, get our special Coder Radio discount. Check out Linux Academy, built by Linux and open source enthusiasts, people truly passionate that understand this stuff. Much better than the, the sites that have all just generic courseware stuff. The generic courseware stuff, I mean, they get an A for effort, but they don't live and breathe it. And that truly makes a difference. And trust me, I can tell you, it truly does make the difference. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get our discount. Check them out. Try out the Ruby on Rails stuff. They also have some Python courseware. Um, everything. They got, the, they, got all, they got the whole stack, as they like to say. The kids say it these days. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Big thanks to Linux Academy. All right, Mr. Dominic. A uh, quick follow-up. I love Les's breakthrough theory on the whole Taylor Swift and Apple thing that we touched on briefly last week. It says, hi, Chris and Mike. On the topic of the recent Apple climb down, I wondered if the open letter from Taylor Swift was particularly painful for them because now when people search online for Apple and uh. Swift... They'll no doubt see the story ranked higher than many of their pages on the language. So I suspect Apple quickly changed their policy before the second letter came through from the Irish folk singer Seamus Objective C. Less. <laughs> I love it. Uh, that, it was that, all about protecting wrong. Swift. <laughs> Gotta yeah, get that Google just, juice. Just flexing her muscles, being like, mmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Aaron writes in, and this is a good one, about us, uh, starting a teaching business. And he wants an ebb, He wants to build a web app or something to help people learn more better. He says, hey, dudes, long-time listener of Coda Radio and Jupiter Broadcasting in general. I'm not a professional programmer, but I like to program a bit for fun, mostly Python these days. Though there was a time when I could write C badly, plus also Bash, and, you know, there's some ninja in me for, for scripting. But what I actually am going to be doing is I'll be a biblical Hebrew teacher starting a business to privately teach Hebrew, Greek, and literary approaches to biblical interpretation. I'm sure, uh, uh, I'm, sure a, I'm sure a medieval lit uh, guy can uh, get behind all this. Oh, I can okay. give you a yeah. firm. Yeah. Firm. Shalom from Chaucer. <laughs> I hope that's correct. My new business, such as it is, is currently limited to local students, but I'm also launching an online part. In addition to doing some classes over video chat, I plan to create an instructional videos, have some exercises, etc. I also have an introductory Hebrew grammar I'm writing in ASCII doc with a Creative Commons license hosted on GitHub. However, I've been thinking it might be nice to really crank up the juice and do a web app. I'm thinking gamification here. Maybe something along the lines of Doingo, but simpler. Maybe something that involves shooting things that correspond to vocabulary words and questions. Maybe uh, morphology blasters. Maybe an 8-bit graphics and music. Who knows? Open source engines that access my own database of paid content, of course. Because uh, I'm hippie that writes grammar books for free. I know that you're going to say there's a New Jersey based startup that focuses on open source who wants to write my app. To you, I say I don't have money for that crap. Oh, I would not say it is crap, sir. As mentioned above, I know a little Python, but I know nothing about web dev except for how to use blink tags. I've thought about either using Python framework or one of the new jangled, fangled JS frameworks, but it isn't really. 
<laughs> but that isn't really what I'm asking about. Do you have any book or course suggestions for building a solid foundation in general as a web developer? I know JavaScript. I bear. I don't know JavaScript. I barely know CSS, and I don't even want to know PHP. How should I learn these things? Holy crap! Man wants cool. to build a jet plane and doesn't know how to fly. Yeah, that's going to be hard. Um, well. So actually, right, if you, if you want to do web development, you need to learn a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, so let's just go top down here. You, you need to learn JavaScript, HTML, all that goodness for the front end. Minimum, right? Table stakes are JavaScript, probably jQuery or some sort of JavaScript framework, HTML and CSS, just to any up. Uh, then let's talk about backend logic. Well, you're looking at either like a Ruby with Rails, Python with Django, Java with Play. I like, I mean, I do... Rails, I like Java Play. If you have no basis, um, yeah, Chris, I'm not sure, but I would say, I mean, I, I, you know, I personally like Java, so I would say if you can't that, get a mentor, play, you need a mentor at this stage. Yeah, you need someone to work with you on this because, yeah. hmm. and then the thing is, you're starting a business, man. You don't, I mean, really, shouldn't that well, be your focus? The other thing is going to be databases. You know, if you're taking payment, how are you handling that? Here's what I would say. MVP this S. You know, start with your basic website. Keep this in your mind. Keep thinking about it and visualizing it because you don't really have a full picture of it anyways, what you need to do. Because you're like, you're going from shooter, you're saying maybe 8-bit, you know. Really, uh, just keep visualizing it until it's clear in your head. And then you'll be so motivated by this this vision that you have for it that the technologies that you need to make that happen might become a little more obvious. And then you'll know where to focus. And in the meantime, you can learn the table stakes, I suppose. But I, you know, I, I would almost want to architect this as two two applications. Actually, I'd have. I would almost think if you maybe just do an MVP of the game part of it. Forget about the database and the payment for now. Use something like uh, what is it? Impact JS. We talked about a couple mm, months ago. Yeah. Little little WYSIWYG JavaScript goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's also another one. I think Photon JS or something like that. I mean, literally pick a word, put JS behind it. You'll find some. Yeah, this is going to get tough because now, as soon as you start talking money, unless you're just going to integrate with PayPal or Braintree, he's you're... a volunteer. Maybe he could find somebody in the community. Maybe a volunteer. That yeah, can in be the passionate. Because this is like, uh, or at least get it started. I'm, I mean, the other thing is, is like, uh, <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, open source yeah. this because you get, if you get somebody to make it for you, you have no idea how good of a job they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, one thing is if you do this as an open source like learning platform, potentially you could attract a community that would help you. And yeah, it's it, this is you know this is what I always feel bad about because people call in you know what well, what should I do? The answer is it kind of depends. In this case, I think you need to reach out to the community. I think too sometimes of, maybe um, you know may, you know I actually I blame Obama really. Hello everybody. I blame Obama. I often do. What are we blaming him for today? No, thanks Obama. Uh, why wouldn't? Thanks we? a lot, Barack. <laughs> Uh, everybody should code. Everybody, hour of code. Everybody needs to learn to code. Everybody can write programs. No, you can't. No, no you, you really can't. can't. You can't. You don't. You know why you can't? Because it takes years. Because here's why. You need to know what's bad and good. You need to know what kind of mistakes to make and not to make. And if you're going to have people's personal information, there's a lot of responsibility there. And here's the other thing. Yeah. You know what you can do? You can focus on your business. And I'm not trying. I'm just like me. I would love to write applications and programs for Jupiter Broadcasting to solve problems all day long. And I have to keep yeah. telling myself no. Because there's so yeah. many other things I have to focus on. So I would say, until you have a complete picture, don't even do it. But that's just, I mean, who am I to say? But I, I don't, I don't, I think people think it's too easy. If he wants to get like, an MVP going, though, right? If he wants to, like, as long as he's not going to use it in production, people who previously thought they could do prototypes and put them in production, um, yeah. why can't he get, like, ImpactJS and make a very right. simple one lesson version of right. this game. Right, and then say, build me this. show it to people, yeah. get feedback. That would be a great goal. Investors. That would be a great goal. That's a good goal. Right. That's a good goal. And you could open source it even. Maybe the community would take it up from there. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that something like this is educational. There would be a strong... and the, Although he wants to charge for it. So, hmm. Yeah. I, I would do the MVP. Honestly, do the MVP... Go around, see if you can't get financial commitments, investment, things like that, and then either hire a freelancer or a shop, or maybe you can do like an open core model where part of the system is open source. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Mr. Dominic, 
business goals. I, uh, I, why don't we, uh, why don't we, why don't we punt that to the community? See what they say. Coderadio.reddit.com to leave your feedback for this week's episode, uh, or Coderadio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Or if you have any feedback or questions for us, you can send it into there. Speaking of feedback and community, all that jazz. I have a meetup scheduled for OSCON on Wednesday, July 22nd at 5 p.m. I'll be announcing the location soon. I have an idea, but I have to kind of confirm with them before I announce it. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to get an idea how many you're going to. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Wednesday, July 22nd. We'll be in Portland. We'll be attending OSCON. If you're going to be at OSCON, just come say hi. If you're in the Portland area at around 5 p.m., we'll be doing a meetup with, at dinner to say hi to uh, Jupiter Broadcasting folks. And uh, you can find out more and RSVP at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and click the OSCON meetup. And please do that so I can let the restaurant know. Because <laughs> right now, we only have three people going. And if we show up and then like 30 people are there, that's going to be a bummer. It's going to be a bummer. I'll blame M- Michael Dominic. So that's meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. OSCON is in Portland, Oregon at the Expo Center there. You can find out more at OSCON.com. And if you want to sign up and get 20% off, use the promo code Linux. And uh, you'll get 20% off one of their passes. Uh, OSCON, by the way, <clears throat> if, you are in, if you work in any particular area that does open source, so not even Linux necessarily, but op- absolutely Linux, uh, but you know, like Ruby on Rails, or if you're working on any, any open source stack at all, uh, OSCON is a great place to go. They have some of the best giving some of the most amazing sessions. And then they also have great expos where you can see how people are using some of this stuff in different ways. And they just talk to you about it. It's really cool. So... Uh, Promo code Linux at OSCON if you want to check out and get a get a ticket. Or if you just want to come meet up with us, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. One of these days, Mr. Dominic, we'll get you out on the West Coast and you'll see how beautiful it is out here. Beautiful, beautiful, right. beautiful, beautiful. Is there, beers uh, on the West is there Coast. anything else we need to do, uh, cover on today's episode of the Coda Radio Program 160? No. All right. No, I don't think so. All right. No. Well, you know what we'll do? When, we, uh, when you and I announce the uh, marriage date, our wedding date, yes. we will uh, post that on Meetup. We'll, say, we'll, have a, we'll have a Meetup that's our wedding. How about that? Maybe we'll live stream it. We want to live stream our wedding. Oh, how romantic. In the meantime, anywhere you want to send it people makes, throughout makes the week. Arm, officiate. Well, I'll find out. I'll look into that. I'll look into that. I can find out. All right. Tell people yes. where you want them to visit you throughout the week. Uh dominicm.com is fine. I, I like that. You got that new blog post up. In fact, we'll have that blog post linked uh, in the show notes about the uh, Confederate flag in the App Store. Why don't you uh, go follow me on my new Twitter account? Chris LES, same name, new account. You have to refollow it again. I know. It's annoying. Twitter.com slash Chris LES, Twitter.com slash Jupiter Signal for the network account. Don't forget to join us live, jblive.tv. We do the show Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Code Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.